Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this, uh, this is a picture of Miss Moreland's kindergarten class. Uh, Miss Moreland's kindergarten class, uh, which also happens to be my kindergarten class, and I know it's almost impossible to see uh, from where you're sitting, but if you squint really hard, I am the kid uh, in the back row up here. I uh, I got a green shirt on, uh, a grin on my face, and uh, if it weren't for a calic right here, a calic right there, or at least used to be there, uh, I would be almost indistinguishable uh, from our two boys. You see, uh, this, uh, this is our kindergarten class. And uh, this is Miss Moreland. Uh, she's our kindergarten teacher. And if Miss Moreland was known for anything, it was the way that every week she would pick a new line leader. A new line leader uh, who would demonstrate their exceptional leadership skills uh, by walking at the front of the line and taking us to places like the cafeteria and the library and uh, and my personal favorite, the playground. You see, uh, this is is my kindergarten class. And and back then, my best friend uh, was a guy by the name of Chris Manikowski. Uh, And Chris Manikowski, he and I were best friends uh, from kindergarten all the way through the fourth grade when my folks moved from Lake Mary, Florida uh, to the Chicagoland area. And Chris Manikowski, he was kindergarten famous. See, he was, uh, he was the fastest guy in class, may have even been the, the fastest guy in kindergarten, and there were six kindergarten classes at my elementary school. And, uh, and what that meant for me is that when Chris Manikowski got to be the line leader, I would do everything in my power to get to the front of the line because I, I wanted to follow him. Obviously, uh, not everybody in my class was a Chris Manikowski, uh, because some people were uh, more like Blake Ward, and, uh, and maybe you had a Blake Ward in your kindergarten class. Uh, Blake Ward, uh, who you only remember all of these decades later, uh, because his name just so happened to be printed in your yearbook. And, uh, and if your Blake Ward was anything like my Blake Ward, you didn't want to follow him. And I know that sounds a little childish and, uh, and immature and... Uh, it probably is. But you see, this is what you would expect from a bunch of five- and six-year-old kids. Petty, immature reasons to follow one person, and petty, immature reasons not to follow another. You see, it's with, uh, with this thought in mind uh, that we turn our attention back to Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians. And if you've been here the past month, uh, then you know that uh, we have been working our way through the first three chapters of this book. And at this point, what you also already know is that the Corinthians are a hot mess. I mean, you got one guy who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. You got a bunch of drunk people who are coming to the Lord's Supper. And then all of them, all of them just don't really understand how the resurrection works. And, and yet, before Paul gets into any of that, he's going to address something far more basic. Stop 
being babies. See, this is essentially uh, what Paul says to them. Stop being babies because their first problem before you get to any of those other things is that they are quarreling and they're dealing with jealousy and they're fighting about who's their favorite because one guy wants to follow Paul, another guy wants to follow Apollos. And if you were here a few weeks ago and you remember Pastor Mike's sermon, uh, some of them are even following Peter and still more are following Jesus. And, and Chris... You did a wonderful job uh, reading this reading this morning, but if you really want to capture what Paul's saying here, then the next time you read, uh, you need to increase your volume and yell a little. You see, Paul, Paul has no patience for this. Paul has no patience for people picking their favorites in church. Did I die for you? Were you baptized in my name? I mean, these are the questions that he asks us back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the answer is obvious. I mean, Paul didn't die for them. Apollos didn't die for them. Jesus died for them. And all Paul did was plant the seed. Apollos, Apollos watered it. But Jesus, Jesus did everything. And so Paul tells them, stop being babies. It's time to grow up. In the past uh, several weeks, I've uh, mentioned that we've been looking at these, uh, these passages of Scripture a week ahead in Bible study. And last week, uh, when we were looking at this reading, uh, the first question, the first I wonder uh, that came up at our table was, was something like this. Are the Corinthians offended and for just a moment, I want you to think about that. And, uh, and for just a moment, I, I want you to actually look at what Paul says. So you got your bulletin. Uh, go ahead and open. It's on page four. It's the second reading. Uh, and, and what I want to do is I want to read to you the first four verses of this text. And so if you got it open, uh, we're looking at verse one through four. Here's what Paul says to them. Brothers. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For one says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? So what do you think? The Corinthians receive this letter. Someone stands up in their church. Someone, yikes, wouldn't want to be that guy. And then they hear these words. Are they offended? And, and I want to point out, my question is not, should they be offended? I mean, that's an entirely different question. Uh, their behavior is sinful. And now they've been caught, should is going to have an entirely different answer. The question I'm asking is, are they offended? 
You see, this is the first question that came up at our table last week. And as soon as someone asked it, almost without missing a beat, someone else at our table blurted out, I'd be offended. You know, I asked this question uh, not because it has a right or, or a wrong answer. I mean, if you're living in Corinth and someone stands up in church uh, and reads this letter, you're just going to have whatever emotion happens. I mean, that's, uh, that's just how emotions work. I mean, either, either you're going to be offended or you're not. That's not why I asked this question this morning. See, I asked this question this morning uh, because of what might or might not happen next. You see, let's just say that there, uh, there happened to be something in your life that needed correction. Something immature. If you received a letter like this, do you think you'd be able to listen? And even more than that, um, if there was something in your life that needed correction, do you have someone in your life right now who could sit down and write a letter like this and actually have you listen? See, I don't know about you, uh, but the more I think about this question, the more I find it deeply uncomfortable. Because I'm sure if you pressed me, uh, I could come up with a list of people who could write something like this, but then if we sat down and looked at this list of one, two, maybe three people, it'd probably be a lot shorter than I really wanted it to be. I think the reason why is, uh, is that I deal with things like pride and ego. I deal with things like, uh, like self-worth and arrogance. And, you know, uh, even, even with the people that I would put on a list like this, I know that if they wrote something like this to me, I would have to fight off some feelings of being offended. And yet what the Lord reminds us today is that part of our spiritual maturity Part of growing up in Christ is having someone like this. Someone who can speak a word of correction that we will actually listen to. I want to point out uh, that the reason why the Lord cares about this has nothing uh, to do with the word of correction. Or, or maybe to put it more precisely, it isn't about the word of correction. It isn't about God getting some sense of justice Instead, it's about what comes next. The real reason he wants to speak. Because what God wants to speak is a word of mercy and forgiveness, a word that by definition is unjust. Jesus, dying on a cross instead of you. You see, our Lord loves you, and, and he loves you so much that even when you're immature and childish, even when you're acting like an infant, he'll do whatever it takes. He'll give his life for you. You see, this kind of love, uh, it, it's unjust. I mean, we don't deserve it, but, but as Paul reminds the Corinthians right at the beginning of this passage, verse 1, even when we're acting like infants, we are still infants who are nevertheless in Christ. And so here's the, the first question I think this text asks of us. Uh, do we have someone in our life 
who could speak a word like this to us. Because God loves us too much to let us linger as an infant. Instead, he, he knits us together in the body of Christ so that we might hear again and again and again his word of mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And now one of the other questions uh, that I found myself asking uh, this past week as we've heard this text and these texts over and over again is, uh, who's Apollos? You see, his, uh, his name keeps coming up at the beginning of uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians. And as it keeps coming up, I keep asking myself, who is this guy? And, uh, and even more than that, I keep asking myself, are we supposed to like him? You know, it turns out that the, uh, the answer to that question, if you're a preacher and you want to ask it, is quite the rabbit hole, uh, because, uh, because Apollos only comes up three places in the New Testament. You see, uh, he comes up at the end of Paul's letter to Titus in what's essentially an offhanded comment. And then he comes up a few times at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And if you've been here the past few weeks, you've heard most of those passages. Uh, and in them, we learn that he's uh, a leader, perhaps even a teacher at the church in Corinth. And then it comes up in Acts chapter 18. And this is the place where we learn the most about Apollos. So Acts chapter 18, it details Paul's time in, uh, in Corinth, uh, that he's the founding pastor of this church, that he spends a year and a half there. And, and then after those 18 months, uh, he takes two of its members, uh, uh, two people, a couple called Priscilla and Aquila, and they travel the 200 miles it takes to get to a place called Ephesus. When they land in Ephesus, this trio parts ways. Paul heads back on towards the Holy Land, and Priscilla and Aquila, they settle down. And this is when we meet Apollos. And, and it's here in Acts chapter 18 that we learn uh, several important details that might just help us answer this question. You see, first, first we learn that uh, Apollos is a Jew. But he's not just any Jew. He's a Jew from Alexandria. This place that's known for teaching and training people how to craft these very convincing, very compelling arguments. So that's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is this. Uh, he is instructed, he's been instructed in the way of the Lord. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord, but he's only received John's baptism. And this is very perplexing. I mean, what do you make of this? We don't really know, but it certainly explains why Priscilla and Aquila invite them in him into their household, into their church, and explain the way of the Lord more fully. And, and third, uh, we learn that at some point, Apollos leaves Ephesus and travels the 200 miles it takes to get to the city of Corinth, where, uh, where he settles down. And we don't know all of the details, but it essentially sounds like Apollos becomes the second pastor of this church. And so, are we supposed to like him? On, on the one hand, uh, Apollos knows the Old Testament, and, and he teaches people about Jesus. He's described as an eloquent man. But on the other hand, there's just something about his presence that seems to create or maybe foster division. 
you know, that's not completely and conclusive, uh, but then you got all these other problems that are going on in Corinth. I mean, drunk people, drunk people are receiving the Lord's Supper, and Apollos, Apollos is supposed to be their pastor. So should we like him? And that's the question I keep asking myself, you know, at this point, uh, as you've heard me go on about this, maybe you find yourself asking it too, and if that's the case, I want you to notice how Paul talks about him in today's reading. I had you pull out your bulletins earlier. I want you to do it one more time uh, today. Uh, we're going to look down at 1 Corinthians 3, uh, and this time I'm going to read to you verses 5 and 6. Here's what Paul has to say. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants. Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. You see, when it, uh, when it comes to other Christians, especially the kind of Christians who shape our faith, it is so tempting to ask are we supposed to like them? And here's what Paul wants us to ask. Not who are they, but what are they? Not do I like them, but how does the Lord use them? Because one plants, another waters, and yet it's the Lord who provides the growth. And you know, the temptation that we face is the temptation to believe uh, that it is someone or something else who provides the growth, that it's something I do. Or that it's something my guy does that provides the growth. You know, this temptation, it goes all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to Adam and Eve, because they trusted the Lord to provide the growth. They trusted the Lord until they didn't. And here's the remarkable thing. Even when they didn't, and, and even when we don't, the Lord still provides the growth. He still provides the growth because he loves us. You see, Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve, they are the line leaders of the, of the human race. They're the line leaders. And we follow them into sin. And yet our Lord loves us so much that he comes into this world, he lives in it, and he dies the death that we deserve. He does it all so that one day, instead of following Adam and Eve, we might follow him, that we might follow him out of sin, out of our childish ways, and in the resurrection into an entirely new creation. And until that day comes, God provides the growth. He provides the growth when we're childish and immature. And you know what? He even provides the growth when our leaders are childish and immature, because it's he who provides the growth, our leader who loves us. At the beginning of my sermon, I just pulled this out a moment ago, at the beginning of my sermon, I told the story uh, about uh, how I was really eager to follow Chris Manikowski uh, when he was the line leader back in kindergarten. 
But you see, there was uh, something I didn't notice uh, back when I was in kindergarten. It's that, uh, that I wasn't ever really following Chris Manikowski when he was the line leader. And uh, it also turns out that I wasn't really following Blake Ward because, uh, because really I was following Miss Moreland. You see, Miss Moreland was the one who led our class. Uh, she just let us think that the line leaders were in charge. She was the one who led us to the cafeteria and the library and the playground. You know, uh, my childish and immature desire to follow Chris Manikowski, it really wasn't any different from the Corinthians' childish and immature desire to follow people like Paul or Apollos. Because in the end, both of them were really just following Jesus. You know, the same is true for us as, uh, as we live the life of faith. And, you know, one day, Jesus, Jesus will lead us out of sin and into a new creation where we will put away our childish and immature ways, and we will no longer be merely human, as Paul describes in this text. But instead, we will be truly human, following in the footsteps of our truly human Lord and Savior and leader, our Lord and Savior and leader who loves us. So may God bless you as you follow him. In the name of Jesus, amen.